Culture Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eve, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today from an unfortunately cloudy Vancouver morning, but that will be brightened momentarily. This podcast is a little bit different than the ones that we normally record in that I'm not going to speak with a particular author about their paper, but the May 2023 issue, as every year, contains one of our two really good stuff sections that we publish. And in thinking about that and the work that goes into this particular issue, it seemed like an opportunity to celebrate the 10 years of internships that medical education has been running. So momentarily, you're going to hear the voices of Helen Church and Linnell Govender, who are two of our three interns this year in that 10th cohort. They helped Brownie Anderson, who's been leading the Really Good Stuff section, put together this month's edition. So really want to take a chance to talk with them about their experiences, about their observations throughout the internship, and see what sort of advice that opportunity has led them to be able to provide for others, whether they're authors or reviewers or whomever else. As they go through the internship, they've been doing a lot of side reading. They've been meeting with our full team of editors, so have been able to accumulate a variety of perspectives in a way that most of us don't generally have access to when we're trying to learn about this activity that we call academic publishing. With all that said, I'm thrilled to have the chance to talk with both of them, and because I've been speaking too much, I'm going to ask the two of you to introduce yourselves. Linnell, you're first on my screen. Maybe I'll just start with you, if you don't mind saying hello and letting everybody know where you're coming from. Sure. Hi, Kevin, and hi, everyone who's listening. My name is Linnell Govender. I am coming to you from Cape Town, South Africa, where it is already well into the afternoon. I am a senior lecturer here at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and my academic home, for lack of a better word, is the Department of Pathology, but primarily what I do on a daily basis is medical education. Yeah, and how did I end up at the Medical Education Editorial Internship with Persistence, which uh-huh. Helen is going to probably give evidence to as well. But in summary, it took a couple of applications to be given the opportunity to do the internship, and I'm really pleased that I applied more than once because it has been single-handedly the best longitudinal learning and networking opportunity I've had in the entirety of my career. So I'm really glad I gave it another go in applying and getting in and still feel a little bit starstruck to have the opportunity to chat with some really amazing scholars and editors on MedEd. Thank you. On behalf of all of them, that, that's much more of an advertisement for the internship than I really intended this to be, but it's, Kevin it's, uh, is not it's wonderful paying to hear. To do this. <laughs> it is an unpaid internship, we should make very clear. Uh, <laughs> Helen? Gosh, I don't know how to follow that. Yes, I'm Helen Church. I'm a clinical assistant professor at the University of Nottingham. I'm currently in Chesterfield. It's quite sunny here, actually, which is just up the road from Nottingham in the UK. And my background is that I'm an occupational medicine trainee, although I'm quite new to that discipline. But my real passion is medical education and particularly medical education research. And just like Nanelle, it took me a few tries to finally get into the internship. And I agree with everything she said in terms of the persistence paying off from, you know, a longitudinal learning experience. And the networking has been much more than I had ever anticipated not only with the deputy editors and editor-in-chief, obviously, but 
also with Linnell as well. We've formed quite a friendship and a research collaborative. So that's been amazing for me. My particular area of interest research-wise is medical careers or healthcare professional careers. And that's something that Linnell and I share an interest in. And through the internship, I've been able to not only learn from deputy editors about lots of different topics, but also talk to them about my own personal research, which has been so amazing to speak to these big names in medical education and get feedback on my ideas as well and where my career is going. And I've genuinely felt at times that they're really excited for me, which has been so motivational. So I'm extremely humbled by the experience and delighted to have been chosen. So I should also mention that Benjamin Kinnear is the third of this group. I didn't ask him to join this podcast because we recorded one a couple of months ago from the paper that he has coming out in the journal. So those who listen regularly will have already heard his voice. And as much as I appreciate what the two of you have just said about the team of editors that we have supporting the internship, I very much want to make this conversation about your career paths more generally rather than the internship. So I'm thrilled about that. At the same time, you pursued it so persistently for a reason. You have some perspective, obviously, that you came in with regarding what it takes to advance your career in health professional education. And so, again, with or without reference to the specifics of the internship, what was it that appeared likely to be valuable that made you think it would be a good opportunity for you? It's a great question because I applied three times and I got in on my third one. And if you ask me each time why I was applying, I probably had a slightly different reason. But by the time I got in, I'd gotten to know the journal from being a reader of it. I'd gotten to publish a couple of times. But this for me was sort of the missing link to the puzzle, not just for medical education, the journal, but for academic publishing more broadly in understanding what happens behind the scenes from the basics of how does a manuscript move through a system to the nitty gritty of how does it function as a business? How does it monitor its readership? Those kinds of things. And that's why I applied because I wanted to answer those questions. And in my experience, I was not able to come across those answers easily in any other platform. Everything that you've just said, Linnell, I think it was that peek behind the curtain that I wanted Mm. to have a look at how the machinery works behind the journal. Having been successful and unsuccessful at, you know, submitting publications, both to medical education journal and further afield, I wanted to understand the reasonings behind the mechanisms and how the peer review system worked, because it seemed to be a little bit shrouded in mystery to me so I wanted to really peel back that curtain and have a look at what was going on and I think just from a slightly selfish point of view you know I want to learn from other people too so not only having discussions with people like yourself within our monthly meeting where the interns get together and discuss a topic which is led by Kevin but also you know individual discussions with the deputy editors learning from their experiences And the way that they shared papers with us and and let us have a go at the review, peer review of those papers, gave a real insight into what is good writing, what is writing that could be improved, how do people really get their message across in a very succinct way. So as an early careers researcher, I wanted to learn about my own writing and reflect on other people's writing too. And there isn't really a better way of dipping your toe in the water than the internship, in my opinion. And so just thinking more about that 
persistence that required of you to get into the internship. And I feel somewhat compelled to apologize for that. We, <laughs> the, uh, the fact that, uh, <laughs> that you needed to be persistent tells you about the quality of the applications we get. We do take only three a year and have the great fortune of selecting from some really talented individuals. Uh, so I certainly reinforce your perspective that, you know, if somebody really wants to do it, they need to keep at it. But at the same time, you know, that persistence in some ways is you know, a metaphor for what it takes to be an author in this in any academic community, you know, it, it is challenging. And I try to admit that at every turn, as you started just alluding to improving your skills as an author through the internship, what insights would you share with others who are similarly trying to you know, find their way and find their voice? I think writing and reading, it's a really basic answer, but it's really obvious. The more you read and the more you write, the better you become. You know, it's the same when you were at school and learning those skills just from a language perspective. But an academic publication is a very different thing. And writing academically is very different. And particularly if you've come from a health professions background, I don't think you get a lot, if any, exposure or training in how to write in an academic way, write a long piece of reflection or how to synthesize a literature review properly, all, all those kind of skills, you just don't get those because you're focusing on the vocational training that you're doing. So I think you feel a little bit on the back foot sometimes as a medic or a nurse or a physiotherapist or whatever your healthcare background in medical education is, if you haven't had an academic route in, you can often feel that your skills are a little bit inferior, your writing skills. I certainly feel like that sometimes. So I think practice makes perfect. Linnell introduced me to a kind of concept in her mind when we've discussed the internship before about reading, writing, editing being the kind of three pillars of the publication process. So reading and writing is something that you can do on your own, in your own time and under your own steam. But the kind of editing, the peer review process, that's the thing that the internship adds and kind of unlocks the other two things. They're all dependent on each other. So it's just practice, I suppose. Practice and reflection. If I can add to that, because your question was about what I would say to other people, and you've mentioned it before as the fact that Helen and I are quite persistent, but I think it's a little bit beyond that. You almost have to have a bit of a tenacity about it. Helen, I've heard her describe herself before as a dog with a bone, as a compliment. And <laughs> I think if you're someone who's keen on getting into academic publishing, if this is something that's important to you for your career or because it gives you thrills and joy or whatever the case may be, you have to be a bit like a dog with a bone and just keep at it. But saying that, I also recognize that that cycle of writing, maybe getting rejected or getting revisions and going on and on like that, I think it requires a little bit of almost resilience or capacity to handle that because it can be quite stressful, especially in the beginning. So it's nice to have people who can support you through that process. I was really lucky the first time I ever submitted a paper and I got rejected. There was two medical education, incidentally. I still say it with love, Kevin. Anyway, the point of the story is I went up to my prof's office and I was, you know, distraught. Oh, I got rejected. I'm so upset. And his response was something along the lines of, oh, well, congratulations. Like, welcome. If you want to be here, if you want to play this game, this is part of it. Don't see it as shameful. It's just part of the course. So I think it's really helpful to have somebody who's going to support you that way, whether or not they're in medical education. doesn't actually matter. It's just somebody who's in your corner to kind of hold your hand through that process, especially in the beginning. And then maybe one day you can do that for somebody else. 
That's a great response. I'm going to try to adopt that myself. I love what your prof said in response. Fantastic. And, and thinking about you know, your early publishing experience, I know from the words that you wrote to introduce the really good stuff section that's in the May issue, that that was where you first published, if I remember yeah. correctly. What made you choose that or what did that help you with in terms of taking that next step on the journey that you're describing? In terms of what made me choose that, I don't know if you remember, but it was actually you. I when don't the rejection, actually. <laughs> when the rejection came through, I'm sure you do this a lot, but when the rejection came through for the paper, which I originally submitted to medical education, your response was, this is not quite med-ed research article, but it would be great for really good stuff. I didn't even know really good stuff existed, to be quite frank. And that was my prompt to go looking into that side of the journal and that's how I got involved with really good stuff, became a reviewer with them, reviewed quite a lot for them. So no, I wouldn't have known about it. It was just one of those serendipitous things, like just one of those early seeds that now is here. What did writing for that section really, change with respect to your path? Really good stuff for me was this wonderful, gentle introduction into both writing and reviewing. It's only 500 words about something that you've done or you think is worthy of sharing. So as a writer... It's an excellent opportunity to just give it a try. Even if you don't get in, if you get rejected, you still get the opportunity to learn what it's like to submit a manuscript online, to make sure that you've got all your formatting right, to tick all the boxes, because those little things are not things you get taught in your vocational training, as Helen said, and you have to do it yourself to get comfortable with it. It's the same way for those people who are listening when you first learn how to put up an IV line, you have to do it over and over again until you're slick at it. And really good stuff is this lovely, gentle way to do that without necessarily having committed years into a research project or months and months and months of writing. You can get it done pretty quickly. And the same applies to reviewing. They're 500 word papers. They're actually really fun to review. So I think if someone's listening and you get invited by Brownie to review, say yes. It's it's not a tedious task it's fun and it's quick and you get to read from stuff from all over the world so yes Brandon, well thank you for sure helen you similarly commented in your remarks on real good stuff that you wish you had known about it earlier in your career again i'm going to ask you to generalize out a little bit from really good stuff specifically but again can you comment on why you said that and what you see the value of there being different types of articles in our field to achieve yeah, I think just building really on what Linnell said, not only the 500 word format aspect of it, but the actual subheadings that you're given to write under for the RGS that are really good stuff is quite different to a traditional original research paper or something similar. It's much more practical. It's much more accessible. You don't have to think about a really formal way of writing your methods and going into your epistemology and your ontology and all that kind of stuff, which can be very daunting for people, particularly who are very early in their careers, but also those people who are doing things on a very kind of action research basis. You know, they see a problem in the workplace or in the educational field and they find a way to approach it and come up with a solution. You don't necessarily always think through all of those kind of research processes that you might do if you're on a more formal you know, research training program. So it's accessible people, but also it's really practical advice. I think that's sometimes what turns people off academic journals is that you feel you're reading articles that don't really relate to you or your institution or wherever it is that you're working. Whereas for me, that's the bit I really get excited about. I think, gosh, what can I take from this and apply to my own 
learning or my own institution what can I take from that what have they given me and sometimes that's positive outcomes but equally it's when things fail I'm a big believer in publishing things that don't work because then it stops me from repeating those mistakes and it not working in my environment either or perhaps there's a reason something didn't work in a particular environment and we can drill down to why that might be might be due to resources or time or the people available etc so let's try it slightly differently let's build on each other's learning to build a you know community of practice that for me is exactly what medical education is so rgs just encapsulates all of that and the reviewing is fun linnell is totally on the money with that because they are quick to read pithy well thought out pieces you, you haven't got time to ramble so it has to be really direct and it's great. Yeah, get involved. And if I can just like jump in there for one second, because I remember Kevin saying it's not just RGS. If someone's listening, like yeah, there are other journals out there that offer similar-ish kind of format. So to extend your view and you'll probably find somewhere that's going to be interested in publishing the cool or disastrous thing you tried out in your <laughs> institution. Yeah, with the right fit for what it is you're trying to produce. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've both just alluded to the other or one of the other pieces that you mentioned in this sort of academic machine, but the reviewing process, and it is a process that's flawed. It is a process that's very frustrating for all of us at different points in time. I sincerely believe, as it sounds like you do, that there's value in doing it both to learn collectively from one another, that it you know, helps us as reviewers you know, better understand our work, sometimes even more so than doing the work ourselves. It's also something that's very intimidating for newcomers to the field, maybe even more so than writing an article on their own thoughts, thinking about evaluating somebody else's work. In other contexts, you both highlighted that there are tons of resources out there telling you how to be a good reviewer, but not a lot on how to become a reviewer. What are your current thoughts or advice in that regard? How does one start making their way into that activity, convince themselves that they're ready for that activity and do it well when they take it on? So how to become a reviewer? You have to ignore the imposter syndrome that's going to tell you that you don't have a right to cast an opinion about this. You do. If you're if you're reading and writing the field from wherever you are, you have a perspective and an input. And if you just take your time to be careful in a review, there's nothing wrong with you adding your voice to that critique of a paper. In terms of how to become a reviewer, the easiest way, I think, if you don't have an existing relationship with a journal, and by that I mean if you haven't published with them already, typically they'll invite you to be a reviewer after that, is to email them, cold email them. Like they have a contact email usually on every single journal's webpage somewhere, and you can sign up to be a reviewer. Some of them will ask you to provide evidence of why or a motivation of sorts, but you can truly just sign up to be a reviewer. And the second way is to try and find people or peers in your setting or even not in your setting, because we work with people from all over the world, case in point, who would be willing to let you group review with them or collaborate on a review. And people, when I bring it up, and even in my setting, they find that so alien, which doesn't make any sense to me. Journal clubs are already commonplace in academia. This is just the reverse of that. Instead of getting together to talk about a paper that's already been published, someone in your field or your setting gets together with a group to talk about a paper that's still being reviewed. And then you can learn to participate on that process as a team. That's probably my favorite way to introduce it to people. And 
in our setting, we've also started introducing that as a means for new scholars to get into abstract review for conferences, which is very similar, buddying people up so that new people in the field can learn what it's like. You've taken one of my ideas there, Linnell. I was going to say actually doing abstract reviews for conferences, either as a buddy system or just in your own right, is a really excellent way of dipping your toe in the kind of reviewing process. And they're often a bit shorter and don't take quite as much time and brain power as a full paper does. But it's a great way of just practicing those critical analysis skills when it comes to reading. Also, just to say as well, Linnell's absolutely right. There's contact information on every single journal out there because as a potential reviewer, you are extremely in demand. So anybody listening to this podcast who even considers that they might want to be a reviewer, I'm sure Kevin and other editors-in-chief amongst all the other journals will be delighted to hear from you because peer reviewers are really difficult to get hold of at the moment, and particularly with people's workloads even when you do find a reviewer, they're not always available to help, which is totally fair enough, but obviously isn't ideal for the journal. So they're crying out for you. And just about shaking off that imposter syndrome, which I definitely resonated with when I started reviewing. I thought, what does my opinion count here? Don't forget that your opinion is just one of many that will be taken into account when the deputy editor reviews them, uses their own formal review as well of the paper and synthesizes those all together to come out with an outcome. So just because you'd reject a paper or you recommend that a paper is rejected doesn't mean that that paper is going to be rejected and you're going to have this kind of butterfly effect on someone else's career because your input is just one of many. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, just reinforce, absolutely, we are not turning reviewers away. If this is an activity <laughs> that you're interested in, we definitely value your voice. We want to hear as wide a variety of perspectives as possible. And we certainly pursue those who have a uh, you know, strong claim to methodological and content expertise. And at the same time, consider people who are invested in the field and are reading and using scholarship in the field to be a form of expertise in and of itself. So by all means, we want to you know, hear your voice if you're willing to share it. I'm going to ask both of you just momentarily if you have any sort of final words or particular last insights that you would want to share with anybody that's listening. Just before I do that, I'll also flag up that I didn't feel remotely guilty about asking Helen and Linnell to do this with me, both because they're always so eager to participate in things and are clearly excellent scholars in their own right. But for the hours that you've heard from them that our group of editors puts into trying to supporting them, all we ever ask of the interns in return is that they pay it forward. And so if you valued listening to Helen and Linnell and the insights that they've gained as another part of the 10th anniversary celebration of this internship, we've created a website that lists all of the people who've gone through it. And odds are some of them are going to be in your local region, local being defined broadly in some instances, because it's only 30 people, so we can't cover every nook and cranny of the world, of course, but I assure you they're all wonderful people, wonderful scholars, and have engaged with the deliberate practice that Helen and Law have been describing in terms of trying to think through how to do well in this area. So I think I can safely say, feel free to reach out to any one of them that is likely to understand your context. And with that, as to move towards closing, do either of you have any final thoughts that you want to share? I think I just want to encourage people to dive in. 
in whatever context they can at the moment. And, you know, medical education is an inclusive community and that's certainly what we're striving towards. Medical education research is a really exciting place to be. I think so anyway. And I just want to encourage anybody who wants to get involved in reading, writing, editing, peer reviewing, even just attending conferences and dipping their toe in the water, please come and get involved because without medical education, we won't have a healthcare professional workforce in the future. And it's absolutely vital that we prepare our workforce for the next generations. And we only do that through better scholarship and research. So please come and join us in whatever capacity that you can. We welcome you with open arms. I'm going to piggyback off Helen and actually steal her words, if I'm not mistaken. It was her <laughs> thought that came up with this. Helen and I have had a lot of discussions before about how to help other people get into academic publishing because we've very recently been there ourselves where it seemed like you know a closed tennis club that only special people could go into. And Helen made an excellent point once saying that if you're the newbie coming into the scholar, it's not just that you want to be in the club. The club needs you. The same way medical education is backbone of our healthcare workforce. For medical education to be sustainable, it can't just be the people who are best cited, fanciest, famous scholars in the field. You need new people coming in to keep it fresh, to keep it sustainable, to come up with crazy ideas. So yeah, I would encourage people to see the value in themselves as effectively the future of the field as a whole. And truly echoing what Kevin and Helen said, they're a friendly bunch. We're a friendly bunch. We're nice people. They're the kind of people you could email and just ask what's the worst that could happen. Like, just go for it. Great advice, as both of you have given through this entire conversation. You just reminded me that I remember hearing that somebody said, look at anybody who you consider to be the brightest stars in whatever field you're interested in. Every single one of them published their first paper at some point. They all started where you are with respect to their own career. So it's possible and their career might not be exactly the one you're even trying to pursue, but just keep in mind that not one of them started with the reputation or the track record that they have currently. Thank you both again for your time, for your insights, for the fun that it has been to have you as part of the internship. Anybody who wants to remember the names Helen Church and Linnell Govender, you'll find them in the May 2023 issue of Medical Education associated with the Really Good Stuff introductory editorial. And as I mentioned, you'll find them forevermore on our website as some of the great people who've come through our internship. So again, thank you both and look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you so much for having us on the podcast. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. 